0: I'm Marianne Kolbisak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today, I'm speaking with technology attorney Phil Crowley of the law firm Philip P. Crowley, LLC, about cybersecurity and privacy concerns related to intellectual property in the healthcare sector, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic, and related issues. So, Phil, for starters, government officials in the U.S. and elsewhere in recent weeks have been warning healthcare sector entities and other research institutions about cyber attacks by hacker groups and nation states to steal COVID 19 vaccine information, treatment, and other related intellectual property. What are the threats that you're most concerned with when it comes to COVID 19 related IP?
1: Well, I like to think about this sector broadly and include in it healthcare providers because they're involved in the process of doing clinical studies that then feed into what the manufacturers need. And sometimes their investment in cyber protection is less than what the companies can afford. And there are really some common issues among both providers and manufacturers. Basically, the providers are subject to the Federal Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, HIPAA, which has robust protections for privacy of personally identifiable health information. So the providers are already under some severe legal obligations with respect to this. And given all the automated systems that they have, They really need to have in place staffs with experts in data security, cybersecurity, managing those protections. For instance, one of the basic rules is data should be encrypted in storage and in transit. That's especially the case for data most sought after by the state actors who are looking to steal clinical data on treatments, protocols, and results. Companies should be doing the same thing. Also, the data security offices need to be scanning the systems regularly to identify both unsuccessful and successful attempts to breach the systems with penetration testing by outside vendors, white hat hackers, to identify vulnerabilities so that they can be patched before they're exploited. And this is all in addition to the basic HIPAA requirements. Another set of protections that uh, many firms and systems are now using is two-factor authentication. After entering an ID and password, the system requires a PIN or an additional code that's either sent to a smartphone that's owned by the person with the ID and password or they have a physical token in their possession that has a password that changes a PIN that changes every minute. So that even if an ID and password is stolen, it's not enough to gain access to the system. And then after multiple unsuccessful attempts, the system can lock itself up, and then the cybersecurity experts can contact the person who's supposed to have access and allow them back into the system. But also, there are human factors involved in this as well. It's important to make the investment to train the staff to avoid phishing and social engineering, you know these are basically attempts to trick individuals into revealing non-public data that can then be pieced together by cyber criminals to acquire sensitive data or to trick somebody into giving them access to systems. And it really goes beyond protecting IP to issues surrounding protection of the functioning of the automated systems themselves. And all of these issues affect not just the providers, but also the manufacturers.
0: So now, Phil, what other cybercrime issues are troubling to you when it comes to the threats facing the healthcare sector these days, including healthcare technology firms, pharmaceutical companies and other such firms?
1: I'm most concerned about invasion of systems and locking them up so that the data is inaccessible. People have probably heard about the WannaCry virus. That's an example where hackers invade a system, make it inoperable, and then demand a ransom in anonymous Bitcoin to release it. It's scary to manage an entity in that situation if you're not prepared, there are techniques for avoiding that and they include most of the things that we've already discussed. But in addition, regular backups of the data and importantly, keeping the backups offline can make it possible to restore a system without paying a ransom. I stress that keeping the backups offline is one important point because if the backup drives are online, they can be encrypted along with the rest of the system, so you lose the benefit of the backups. But with the ability to back up the system and restore the system from the backups, much of the sting of the WannaCry virus and similar viruses can be taken away.
0: So now, Phil, what about contact tracing technologies? What particular privacy and security concerns do you have about these developments Any advice for how the developers of these apps and technologies should approach privacy and security?
1: I'd recommend adhering to the basic procedures required for HIPAA-compliant software. That is, anonymization of information where it's possible, encryption and storage and transit, and then restriction and access controls on who can view and deal with the information. But it becomes a much more challenging task in the growing era of the iot or the internet of things where you have so many devices and systems communicating with one another to make our lives more convenient and more interesting but of course there's a cost involved in all that as you widen the ambit of sharing data and connecting systems you risk attaching a vulnerable link now just think of having somebody hack into your home system via your smart lock or uh, network printer or via a baby monitor. I think we've all seen press reports on that last one so that we know it can happen. We need the development of robust standards for interoperation of systems in the Internet of Things to address those issues. And it will be continuing, you know, as the black hats develop penetration strategies, the white hats, the cybersecurity experts will develop approaches to block those And then the black hats will find new approaches as people want even more things connected to make their lives more convenient. So it's a never-ending battle. So if your subscribers know of young people who are interested in computer technology, I'd certainly recommend that they suggest that they look at data science, cybersecurity, and computer science as really robust areas for study and career growth and opportunities. I've had the honor of serving as a trustee at my alma mater, Stevens Institute of Technology in New Jersey, for over 20 years. And I've just been amazed by the focus on computer science, cybersecurity, data science. And so I'd suggest if any of your subscribers know any young people who are interested, that they send them out to Stevens and take a look at some of the programs there. But I see tremendous growth in this area as we try to come to terms with making things accessible and convenient for users, but at the same time secure from intrusion.
0: Now, Phil, aside from issues involving the COVID-19 pandemic, what other emerging security and privacy issues should health technology and pharma companies be watching carefully these days and also looking ahead into next year?
1: Bring your own devices, BYOD policies, uh, that permit workers to use their own devices at work, and especially when people are using their personal computers at home, smartphones, other devices to access data. Those are areas that are not well controlled. My sense is that people are more casual in their treatment of data outside the office, and... Even in the office, when they're using their own devices, the device is not so well controlled as devices that are provided and managed by a professional IT staff. And then particularly on the home computers, and I think this is an issue that comes up a lot in this stay-at-home lockdown period during the COVID pandemic. There's no control over the installation of updates to software and the updates typically involve security issues in addition to fixing bugs. And there's no requirement for use of technologies that encrypt data. I mean, there's one set of programs, virtual private network software, that encrypts messages in transit. And people say, well, why do I need that? Well, think of going to your favorite coffee shop and using the free Wi-Fi and having somebody nearby uh, intercepting your data, ID, and passwords. And if that data stream is not encrypted, you're at risk of having that happen. And if you're accessing your company's data, then the company's data can be compromised as well. And then finally, when you have a BYOD policy or use of home computers, There's no assurance that people are backing things up. So people in the home environment are really subject to the same difficulties and risks that large institutions are with respect to WannaCry and those lock-up kind of viruses that make it very difficult to continue to use the system or impossible to use the system. And then, you know, with the distractions of working from home, you know, you're in your home office or which it turns out to be the bedroom trying to do something your spouse is in the dining room on a zoom call the kids are in the kitchen doing remote learning the dog is barking and wants to go out for a walk you see an email marked urgent you quickly open it you click on the link and all of a sudden your screen goes dark and you see a request for a bitcoin ransom You know, it's just the distractions of being out of the office and being in a less controlled environment that will provide some additional risks for people as we go forward and as we come out of this pandemic, hopefully sooner rather than later.
0: And one last question, Phil. With that all said, once the dust settles a little more with the pandemic, and people start going back maybe into the office, you may, maybe you, you still have people working remotely. But do you think that companies will discover breaches that were not detected during the chaos? Do you think we're going to see a surge of data breaches that all of a sudden begin becoming revealed by companies that once they start going back to normal?
1: That is certainly a possibility, and of course, with the increase in legislation in this area, California has uh, recently enacted new legislation, New York has enacted legislation, various states are looking at legislation, the risks and the legal responsibilities and the costs to be involved by companies who then have to disclose data breaches and breaches of personally identifiable information will increase and so again i go back to the hipaa requirements and the utility of encrypting data in storage and in transit because if the data is encrypted in storage even if it's hacked then there's a high likelihood that it will be inaccessible to the hackers and so those kinds of protections built into the processes and procedures of a company can be extremely helpful however having said that They have to be in place today and six months ago or three months ago. And companies that haven't done that would certainly be well advised to, if they haven't engaged a cybersecurity expert yet, to go out and do that now so that they're well prepared for this environment, which I see the various states and ultimately the federal government enacting legislation for protection of privacy and ownership of information that are very much like the general data protection scheme that is currently in place in the European Union. I think people are now understanding the risks of having their data out there and are unwilling to trade it away, except in limited circumstances.
0: Thanks, Phil. I've been speaking to attorney Phil Crowley. I'm Marianne Kolbasek mcgee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.